ultimately what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a mentor of mine on. His name is Ben Newman. Those times of, of adversity when you doubt yourself the most and there's a lot of anxieties. He helped me recenter, rebalance, recalibrate, um, you know, get back to talking to myself the right way, daily habits, all of it, right? He was, um, he was there to help guide me. Welcome back to a very special episode of The Burn. I am Ben Newman, and you know how we do this. Every single week, we're bringing you a story of an athlete, an entertainer, a celebrity, somebody performing at their highest possible level who has recognized that why and purpose is not enough. It's that underlying burn that ignites your why and purpose and causes you to be disciplined on the days that you don't want to do it, and especially after you win. You have heard me say many times in the past, this is a special episode. Today is a very, very special episode. Not only will this be the longest episode of The Burn in The Burn's history as we approach 200 episodes in our fifth season, this is a special episode that really highlights the why and the how we are here on The Burn the why and the how I've been able to do all of the work that I've done in collegiate football and in the NFL. It's the how and the why that Compton jersey is hanging behind me in my office. Will Compton is the first NFL player who gave me his trust that I could help him think differently, show up differently, and embrace the improbable when he was an underdog as an undrafted free agent heading into his rookie season in 2013 with the Washington Redskins, seven out of seven on the depth chart. He believed and I believed the first day that we met. What you will hear is a special interview that he's given us permission to share. When I flew down to Nashville for bussing with the boys, Will and I, one-on-one, talking about his career, talking about our relationship, our work together, our friendship, and talking about the underdog mentality that I know will help you on your journey. These stories will resonate. These stories will impact you. These stories might change your life. Will's story has changed mine. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do the things that I've done in sports, as I mentioned, without Will Compton's trust. For that, I am forever indebted to him. This won't be the only time my eyes get wet. They do in this episode as well, because it's special, because it's real, and you get to go behind the scenes with us. Will Compton has now officially announced his retirement from the NFL. He and I joked during this episode that now the clock begins for the five years before he's on the ballot to get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now that may never happen. But I believe Will Compton truly belongs there because of the underdog mentality and the example that he set for so many players who didn't believe in themselves, 
for so many young men and women who didn't believe in themselves and saw his story, it gave them hope, it gave them fight, it taught them to persevere. Will and I will always be connected because the bond of our mothers. I'll never forget the day that he contacted me when he was with the Oakland Raiders to let, his, let me know that his mother had passed away. Bill and Kathy Compton are amazing people. Kathy was a special woman, just like my mom. Her support, love, and challenge for Will has made him the man that he is today, just like my mother, and her fight and her perseverance made me the man that I am today. Kathy, this special episode is for you. Bill, this special episode is for you. For raising a son the right way. For raising a son to constantly challenge himself to understand what's possible and to be his best. And Will, I can never thank you enough for your trust, your friendship. And I promise you, brother, you are only scratching the surface. I am in your corner forever, and the best is yet to come. Congrats on an incredible nine years, really 10. Congrats on that clock starting for the Hall of Fame. I love you, brother. We are in this fight together forever. Enjoy this very special episode of The Burn. The day has finally come for your boy. Retirement, man. Um, you're probably wondering why there's two hours attached to this thing. Trust me, I've, I've, I've asked the same question over and over, but ultimately what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a mentor of mine on. His name is Ben Newman. And um, he was my mental coach. He was like, he was my sports, mental performance, psychology, co whatever you want to say. He was that guy for me throughout the majority of my career, especially in those early moments of my career. A lot of core moments that shaped um, you know, my time in the NFL. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to reminisce and capture those conversations and reminisce on the glory days, right? Like he was somebody who was, uh, who helped me think big. He was somebody who helped me think beyond myself. He was somebody that, you know, in those, those times of, of adversity, when you doubt yourself the most, and there's a lot of anxieties. He helped me recenter, rebalance, recalibrate, um, you know, get back to talking to myself the right way, daily habits, all of it, right? He was, um, he was there to help guide me. And I thought it'd be cool to have him on for, you know, just to reminisce on the career that I had and talk about some of those stories, those high level stories. And uh, I thought it'd be cool to do it for a few reasons, for three reasons. First, uh, personally, like, you know, I think one day when I'm old and wanting to reminisce on the old days and reminisce on some of the memories that were had, I think it'd be cool to, to pop open a cold one, pour myself some whiskey and just sit and, and relive those glory days. You know, those days that'll come where the world doesn't, you know, the world forgets about you. Uh, they forget about these years. They, all of it, it's just gone. Right. And honestly, it's like, to be frank, I don't know how I'm going to age. I don't know. I don't know. Like as you age, memories fade, right? You forget your memories. And then 
you definitely forget details of those memories. So I think it'd be cool to be able to reminisce on some of these on some of these memories while I still have the memories that I have at 33 years old, birthday month, um, going on 34. And number two, I think it's, it's the same with my family. You know, I have a daughter, Cerulean, shout out, shout out Rue, shout out you, Rue. Um, if my wife and I are fortunate enough to have more kids, uh, I'll have other kids that'll grow up and, you know, if they want to be curious about their old man or their dad, or if they have kids and their kids want to be curious about their grandpa and, you know, I know my old man, my dad, he's a very proud father. He's very proud of me. And I know he loves to reminisce on the good old days. And my brothers, they'll have hopefully big families of their own. And maybe, you know, my nephews, nieces, whatever, they might want to know what their uncle was about. But I thought it'd be cool to capture those. And and lastly, man, it's like, I like to believe that if you're at a place of, you know, you've been able to go about the path and achieve you know, dreams that you had, like I got to live out my biggest dream and that was being an NFL player. And with that was a lot of, you know, a lot of adversity and trials and tribulations and hurdles and, you know, a lot of things that everybody goes through in their own life. Right. And, um, getting to, I think it's important to share those things. I think aside from all your achievement, I think it's just as important, if not more important, um, on what you leave behind and how you can share what you learned throughout the journey. And there's this, uh, you know, there's this story in the book called the warrior of the light. And if you get a chance to read, it, it's a phenomenal book, but there's a story about the warrior and he's sitting around the fire with the, the couple of his, the couple of his mates, a couple of the boys. And one of his friends asks him, you know, they're reminiscing. They're talking about their, their conquests, their successes, their, uh, you know, their struggles, their strategies to overcome. And, you know, one of his boys asked him while they're all sitting around the fire, you know, why, why share all this? Why share all this? Because you're ultimately giving strategy to others. You're, you know, what if there is no, what if there is nothing at the end of this? Why share it if it means nothing? And the warrior essentially looked at him and smiled and, and basically said that, the day where we get to the end and we find that there is no paradise, he doesn't want his struggle to be for nothing. And so I think sharing these stories and sharing the struggle, the highs and lows and everything else, I think it's, I think it'll be cool to look back on fondly one day. And um, if anybody gains inspiration from it, pulls from it, gets to lean on it, that's fucking awesome. Or, and if, if anybody in my family gets curious about any of this shit one day, it'll be cool to have this, but yeah, man, I'll go ahead and kick this over to my, uh, to my conversation and, 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 uh, you know, my podcast with Ben Newman. Feels like a weird, it's just like a, it's, a fucking it's, deep breath or something. Yeah, I know it feels like a weird air. We're sitting in here talking about the retirement of it all, but everybody who's tuned in, welcome to a special little episode of Bustin' with the Boys. Um, as you guys know, as like I just said in that little clip before, I am officially done with the NFL. I have my guy, Ben Newman here, who is a speaker. He's an author. Um, he's somebody that was a mentor of mine in core years of my, my NFL life. Basically the start of it from rookie year. I mean, heavy into, you know, going into like year seven. We've obviously always been like family since then, but, um, having this kind of conversation and talking about it, 
just to have it in the vault and kind of reflect on one day when I'm old and gray and when Rue gets older and you get to kind of, she gets to see her old man at 33 retiring. Here's where it's like, it gets a little weirdly emotional, but um, yeah, that's why it was important for me to have you on and kind of talk about it all. I know we're going to get into it and it's going to make both of us emotional right away, but the stories that your mom would tell of taking you to the camps, you know, we're going to start from the mom angle right out of the gate. Hey, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of the connections that we had, yeah. right? It was yeah. a family connection. Like, it's one of the things I respected so much. Like, you wanted to honor your family. You wanted to be an example for your brothers. You wanted to be able to do this and provide this and an example for kids in Bonterra. And it was always bigger than Will. And as much as, like, you you wanted to have that jersey on, you wanted to make a roster, so many of our conversations that we'll get into, it was always bigger than you. And I always respected that about you and how you showed up and wanting to give back and wanting to speak and wanting to you know, build something beyond the game of football and you've done it, but you always put action behind it. But it's cool to look back on you coming in my life. My rookie year was so for context, like I really got into the mental psychology of sports going into my senior year, Rex in college at Nebraska, Rex Burkhead always carried himself in such a way that I was so confident. And he, it always, everything seemed like it was water off his back. Like if he got coached hard because we were coached by Bo Pelini. I mean, he was a motherfucker. He'd motherfuck you. And I know when you're young going through that, there's a lot of times where you're like, oh, you can't miss this tackling space or you don't want to mess up. You play not to mess up. You play not to mess up. And then as I like learned in that book called The Mental Edge by Kenneth Baum is we use our brain so much as a disadvantage because we just naturally think like if we think about failure, that failure will come to us in some certain way. But I talk about that book because I asked Rex like, hey, do you have anything going in, going into our senior year? And he hands me this beat up book uh, the mental edge. And he's like, read this. And I read it and my mind was blown away from it. It kind of helped. That's what helped just set all my vision and goals for pro day when I didn't get invited to the combine. So I always loved the idea of the mental psychology of sport. And after OTAs and mini camp with the Redskins, my rookie year, um, yeah, one of, one of my buddies connected us on Twitter and yeah, in your bio, you're talking about speaker, author, all this stuff. And you DM like, hey, you know, hope hope all is well. If you ever want to get together when you're in Missouri, would love to. And here I am reading your DM thinking like, oh, this would be awesome. I can work with somebody versus reading it out of a book. Yeah. I can work with somebody one-on-one on all this mental stuff. Because again, like I was at the bottom of the, you're at the bottom of every fucking depth chart, like special teams, third string, you know, Linebacker in the linebacker room. Seven with London yeah, Fletcher and, Hall of Famer is the yeah. Starter. Linebacker room was uh was set. We were seven deep, and you had London Fletcher, Perry Riley, Keenan Robinson. Um, at that time, Brian Keel. You had all these guys, and then even another undrafted rookie ahead of me in my spot at being an undrafted rookie, and I was seven out of those. You know, I was basically there's three teams, and then I got the rotate in with the threes every now and then but you know you're like at the bottom and you're just thinking like yo there's no way i'm gonna make this fucking team ever in a million years and essentially once we got together after those otas it's the first question that i asked you I said you know what's on your mind yeah and if you remember you look at me and you're just like well you know if things don't work out with the redskins there's 31 other teams and i was like man i got his ass yeah. like i knew because here i'd never worked with an nfl player like what's the angle gonna be like I know I have these mental training tools that I used in the corporate world that work, but never really this deep in sports. And as soon as you said that, I knew it. 
And I just, I'll never forget, just we're sitting across from each other in the booth and I look over at you and I say, hey man, like what if you forget about the 31 other teams and every day you wake up and you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a linebacker with the Washington Redskins. And you like, your eyes got big. Like I thought you were going to jump over and you don't want to tackle me. And you're like, that's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start saying it every day. And then yeah. that next day, you literally texted me. I, I was pulling into a restaurant called Bristol. I mean, these are things like why our relationship is so special. I remember every detail. I'm pulling into Bristol wearing the damn suit again because I'm still a financial advisor. And I'm pulling in and I get this text message. Hey, do you drink coffee? I'm like, what the hell kind of, do I drink coffee? What kind of a text message is that? I just met you yesterday. I'm like, yes, I drink coffee, having no idea where this is gonna go. You then say, great post-workout drink, coffee, whey, protein, and honey. I'm looking at my phone like, what the, like, where is this going? I said, sounds great, I'll try it. And you responded back, that's what a linebacker with the Washington Redskins drinks. And I thought, holy shit, like this kid, but you made the choice to say, I'm gonna start thinking differently. Every Monday, we'd meet, yeah, yeah every Monday. For, for, four weeks until four training weeks camp. Straight, you'd have me do homework when I go home. You're, we're like working out. I'm having my little brother, Wyatt. He's like timing me and all my gassers because we're preparing for this awful conditioning test. It makes me want to lay on railroad tracks thinking about it. But we'd have to run 10 half gassers, and then it'd be a 45-second rest. But while you're resting, 40 seconds of it, you're planking. Then you get up and you have to run another one. You got to make them in all these times. And we're just running. You know, you see how, you feel how humid and hot it is out there. Like Wyatt and I, he's out there timing me, getting ready for training camp and everything else. And yeah, man, like a lot of that stuff helps shape my thinking going into training camp. And that training camp, like it's like, you know, people, people will ask like, you know, if you're undrafted, I'll have undrafted guys DM me. And it's really cool that I get to talk to those guys because it's, it's just a world of, man, it's like, to play in the NFL, you have better chances of getting struck by lightning. And it's like, if you're a low round undrafted cat, even to make a roster, it's like insane, right? And everybody always wants like this formula. And there is like luck and timing that is involved with it because I don't even have the opportunity unless Keenan Robinson goes down on day one of training camp. He tears his peck. You know, again, London Fletcher, Perry Riley, Keenan Robinson is there. He came, he was coming off IR from the year before, a fourth round, third, fourth round pick out of Texas who was a stud and he tears his peck opening day. And so right then and there, I go from seventh on the depth chart to now where I'm, I get to solidify myself working with the threes. And then, uh, even then like all this stuff we were doing right now, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm like, you know, I've been game planning our offense all off season, doing all that sort of thing. So anytime I did get a few snaps during practice, I would be loud, proud, vocal, probably know what plays coming because you're running against the threes. They're trying to run basic install stuff. And um, then the guy, the undrafted rookie ahead of me, Jeremy Kimbrough, shout out the boy Jeremy, he tears his hamstring. <clears throat> and he go, he's out for like two to three weeks because it was a bad hamstring injury. And then I get thrusted into the twos. And just like that, you're like getting your opportunity to play. That's when, that's when everything you do work for, you have to be ready when your opportunity comes. You just don't know when it's ever going to come. And that, that, see, that's one of the unique things about you. You embrace an underdog mentality, when really for the first time in your life, some of those Nike camps that you went to, like you may have questioned yourself, 
But coming out of Bonterre, Missouri, you were a huge recruit. I mean, Bo, let's just, let's call it what it is. Bo Pelini flew the damn okay, plane okay. in to watch bowl games. I mean, you were a highly taught after recruit. University of Missouri was pissed off that you didn't commit there. You go and become one of the all-time leading tacklers in the history of Nebraska football. You're a captain. Like, when you're told, like, you're undrafted, a lot of guys, they can't handle that. And then for you to embrace that, show up to camp, and be prepared for that moment, like, you own that underdog mentality. Most people don't want that. And I think a lot of these guys who now reach out to you is because you've become such a great example because of the fact that you were ready. That you didn't say, hey, I, it's it, no, the underdog gave you that chip on your shoulder. And I think that's something you embraced and then you tackled. What are the little things that I can do? And I remember asking you that first meeting, I'm like, hey, what made you a captain at Nebraska? And you were like, hey, I used to pay attention to nutrition. I used to read every day. I would break down film. I'd, I said, well, let's start doing those things again. And then you did, as opposed to saying, you know, woe is me. I'm on the depth chart, man. I ain't going to make it. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying here, but like, this ain't happening for me. And you stayed focused on what you can control and you were ready for that moment. Yeah, it, it, it's hard. You, you talk about like embracing the underdog mentality too. It's, it's definitely like, there's a lot of pride with that. I look back now and I'm more proud of coming from that situation than I was at the time. I know at the time, I, you know, I remember a, a one of my best friends, John, he, him and his wife came into town. And I remember telling him like, Hey, this is going to be the only year I play. Like this fucking sucks. I hated training camp. I hated, I, I, I just, it wasn't fun. It, it, the reason why it wasn't fun is because I wasn't seen as a guy. <laughs> and then, and then the ball bounces your way. And then when you're running with the twos and then you're getting some opportunity, the moment that I'm sure we'll get into and talk about, and then you start getting seen as like, you know, Oh shit, this kid can play. I, you know, I was on practice squad that whole year, but Anytime you're behind the eight ball, it's not, it fucking sucks. It's like when I didn't get drafted, it's not, not, not even the get drafted part, but when I didn't get invited to the combine, like that was a tough pill to swallow. Cause again, I was just mad at the, at the world. It's just like, uh, you know, but you ultimately have to understand that the sun rises the next day and you have to either change your outlook on it and start progressing toward whatever you want, like whatever you have written down. Um, but what actually in that moment, like that mindset that you had, because that was far before, you know, I appreciate when you try to give me credit and things, but you always did the work, you always did the thinking, but well before me, was it your mom? Was it your dad? Who instilled that belief in you? Well, without getting emotional. <clears throat> yeah, man, it was, it was them. Do my best not to make a joke. Um, hey, yeah, it was. Hey, I mean, it, be real. No, I know. I mean, make a joke for crying. No, I, I, I'm saying I, I want you in this moment. I want you to be real for your mom. Yeah. Because she's, she's listening to you. Well, it's tough to fully do that because you start just like, you start losing your, the words. But yeah, man. <clears throat> yeah, it was, you know, you grew up in this little, this 
small fucking house in Park Hills and it would just be, you don't know it at the time, but your parents are like, you know, they're working their, you know, they're working their dick off to, to provide. You don't know like that you're poor or low class or nothing because you don't know any different. And it's small things. It's like, I remember my mom saving up box tops from cereal boxes and doing all the new tricks of the trade to save money, cut costs. And, you know, they busted their ass to put every amount of money into our sport camps. I fucking hated wrestling. My dad loved it. We were solid at it. My brother was, a, was a fucking animal. Yeah, my dad's an animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated fucking working out and my dad making me work out. He made, he'd make me work out. Like, you know, they wanted us. We were, we figured out that we could play sports and I wanted to go to football camps and they did whatever they could to travel with baseball team. And you wouldn't know it at the time when I'm getting, when I'm with my buddies traveling to baseball tournaments. And then you look back and I realize like, oh, my parents just couldn't afford to go to those tournaments and stay in the hotels and everything else. And those moments that you did do it, it's just, they always found a way to provide. And again, you don't know it at the time that this is all molding, molding us in a way that we're able to utilize and find our own motivations and chip on our shoulders. But it was, it was like those, it's like a subconscious thing that comes in the back. My mom listened to Dave Ramsey. My dad lost his job, um, you know, throughout the beginning half of, or middle 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 of the road in high school. And he's trying to teach himself selling insurance and doing all these things. And he's out of a job and it's a stressful fucking time. And my mom's got Dave Ramsey radio on every, every morning, figuring out how you do this snowball effect, the baby steps. And I never cared to hear it. I wanted my, I wanted an allowance. Everybody else is getting a fucking allowance (laughs) wearing stupid ass Abercrombie and Hollister. And I, why do I got to wear Aeropostale? You know what I mean? Like, and again, you don't know it. You don't know it then, man. But it like, those are things that you reflect on. And then when you do get the opportunities, it's like, fortunately, my dad showed me Rocky at a young age and talked about Walter Payton, that he would run hills until he puked. And mm. when I'd get in trouble, he'd be like, well, you know, Walter Payton, when he'd show up and not have the dishes done in the middle of the night, they'd wake him up out of bed. And you had all this storytelling based on motivations because I love football. So there was... You know, yeah, then, like them. It, it's hard to articulate everything they did, but recalling all these stories, it's see when you grow up in a county like St. Francis County, and I'm not not to shit on it, but you're in a small town. The closest city's an hour away. You're not. It's a generational. It's a generational area. Not that people don't get out on their bums and everything else, but you don't know any different because you don't leave a whole lot. You don't know how to think big. Mm. The only way to think big is movies and sports and, oh, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. My dad buys a whole DVD set. And then I'm watching these documentaries and you're just thinking, man, this is the coolest fucking thing in the world. Like, how do I do that? Writing, I want to be an NFL player on when I'm in eighth grade on when we're in career classes. And knowing that everybody thinks like, yo, this fucking kid's ridiculous. Being a, I was a, you know, your boy was a stud running back back in the day. I'm talking a pup, but I wanted to be the next Walter Payton. I wanted to be Eddie George because I knew I was taller and bigger. 
and you want to be the greatest running back of all time, only to find out you're a defensive guy. But you just knew when I was going to the next phase, Nebraska, that there were people in our area that like, we'll see what he does. People always fizzle out. Nobody ever really makes it. Um, so that accumulated with learning that kind of background. I know I kind of went off on tangents but there. I but. just want to just capture some. It's a huge testament to your parents and capturing that mindset. It's one thing to see the movies, but it's another thing. I know how hard your parents worked, but also hammered and kept instilling those values. Because not only you, there were three collegiate athletes in your house, and there were three kids in your house. Yeah. So it, it's a pretty amazing thing, you know, when you look back at how amazing your parents are and the job that they did. It's insane, man. <laughs> but one day, you look, do look back, and then all these memories that are coming up, it's like, it does kind of get ingrained in your mind about the sacrifices they made, but at those moments, they're not the heroes in your movie. Now it's like, they're the fucking only heroes you want to reflect on. Yeah. She's your so turn. proud of you. I know. Dude, it was the, you know, I, I think back to just, the number of times, because you are so freaking high maintenance, and you try to play this off a of bro, like, my God, are you high maintenance? I mean, like, mom's, oh, it's all got, relative, mom's right? got to bring your truck out to, you know, I mean, it's just the number, the sacrifices your mom made. I mean, it was like, if you were moving, like, your mom would have been like, get me the U-Haul, put it on the back of the truck, I'll drive the truck out, we'll go do your thing. I mean, your mom was just, just lived a life of sacrifice. I mean... Being a teacher, being a principal, being the leader of your family. I mean, she was an amazing woman who, dude, she would drop anything. The big tailgate she would throw were like freaking all of Bon Terre's coming. I mean, we got, we're in Kansas City and there's 200, 250 people <laughs> from Bon Terre. Sweetheart, you were there. My wife is sitting back there. And we had 200 to 250 people at the Kansas City Chiefs game, Washington at Kansas City, primetime game. And I'm not even playing in the game like that. <laughs> special teams bro i'm the backup <laughs> and there's like my mom's like oh you know you got to come to the hotel like we ran out the conference room for dinner people came they want to you know you need to go in and show face and say hi and see that's why i think it's so important that you know now you know as a parent that you know we'll never be perfect right i'll never be a perfect husband i'll never be a perfect father but you try your best and instill these lessons because you were listening you know, and, and it did change your life. And, you know, those practices that you hated, you know, how many times with those messages that actually got you through? Because you and I have talked about it. There's so many people, you know, I've, you know, you were the first one, but now I've been blessed to continue to work in this league and help and mentor so many players. And, but there's, there's guys that just break because they don't know how to think. They didn't have those lessons. They didn't have that push. They didn't have that example. They didn't. And it's just, it's amazing that you took it and you, and you just ran with it. It's, it's incredible. I appreciate that. Um, Can I take you to a moment? Yeah. Training camp. Which one? The first one. I think we got to dive into this moment. Yeah, one of the core moments of, of my career. It's like, you know, if you look back, what are some moments that allowed the breakthrough and everything else? Um, like I was saying earlier, Keenan went down with the pack. I get to go with threes. And now, mind you, like when you're an undrafted, when you're an undrafted player, um, you need things to go your way. You need injury to happen. You need, you need those things to happen if you're going to get any fucking opportunity. Because again, you're at the bottom. Like 
you getting put on the team, the focus is on the draft picks and the guys who are going to be on the 53-man roster, ones and twos. That's who they really care about. Like, let's polish this up. Let's get going. Let's get ready for the season. So as an undrafted guy, you either, they either find a diamond in the rough if you execute, or it's, he is who he thought he was, cut him, go to the next guy. It's just a revolving door. So when you do get your opportunities, they're few and far in between. So when I'm working in with the threes or working with the threes, you're only getting a few reps a day. You fucking better be right when you're out there. Even when you are, again, it's, all right, one's back in. You're, you're ready to see the big dogs. You're ready to see, at that moment, my rookie year, you're ready to see RG3, Santana Moss, and all, London Fletcher and all these cats, man. Brandon Merriweather, D'Angelo Hall, dogs. Mm. Again, Perry Riley. And, um, you know, when Kimbrough goes down and I get to go in with the twos, it's, fuck, I'm getting an opportunity. This is real. Now I get to run with the twos. And you have a, you put a practice or two together, um, good practice. And again, nothing's being said to you because you're not a focal point. And I remember tweaking my hamstring. I remember tweaking my hamstring in a one-on-one base got wide. I leaned and felt a pop like up top of my hamstring, like in my ass, in my ass, basically. And I was finally getting my opportunity to run with twos. And that night, man, I could barely walk in my hotel room. To where I'm literally in tears because I'm so disappointed that this is happening. That I'm finally getting my moment to be out there with the second unit. While other people are down because the best ability is availability. When you do get that shot, you better fucking run with it. Especially if you're a bottom guy because you only get one life. You only get one life when you're, when you're on the lower echelon of guys. And I was just in tears, man. I, I, thank God you come. Not that I'm going to quit and fucking leave and everything else, but I remember that last visit we had after the four weeks of meeting in the summer. Yeah, like, hey, man, I would love to come out during training camp for a few days and just make sure your head's on straight. I was like, oh, man, I'd love that. I fired up. Like, again, you've, like, taught me some thumped, and I'm like, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> You're driving this fucking Mercedes and wearing the suit. Like, <laughs> I'm enamored. If you're selling something on the network marketing level, I'm buying all in. And uh, I was like, man, that'd be awesome. And it just so happened that day is the day you flew out for the next morning because that walkthrough, I had to hide behind. Now, when you're doing walkthrough in the morning in training camp, all the rookies and scout team guys, they're the ones running the cards and walkthrough for the vets. Like, you're, again, you're, you're at the bottom. Get the fuck out there, wear the jerseys. You're doing the walkthrough for the vets. I had to like hide and kind of not show face and be in the back so I didn't get out there because I could not. Mm. I was in, I, it was brutal. And I remember going to Elliot, Dr. Evil. Elliot Germain, Elliot German. I, had, so I hate that I'm butchering your last name, brother, but I call him Dr. Evil. That's a long uh, paying homage to Dr. Evil in Nebraska, Mark Meyer. And Elliot was my Dr. Evil in Washington. I remember like laying there like, hey, Please don't tell anybody and try to like we I please help me figure out how to have my hamstring in a place just to practice because I have mm. to be out there. <clears throat> and he worked with me. And ultimately it was like we had to figure out a way to like duct tape my leg, essentially, is what I like to say. Like to where if you're doing like leg swing skip, I couldn't like lift my leg that high because if I got overextended, that's where it hurt. But if I took enough. I'm taking Toradol, like a, some vet gave me Toradol. I'm doing this stuff so I could just be out there because you come for that lunch and 
you 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 might remember a little bit more than me, but I remember. And I I remember kind of being like, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, I remember you texting, and you were like, man, it's bad. You said meet me at the team hotel. And I go over to the to the team hotel. Man, it was pouring down rain that day, just pouring down rain. Which you know, even for conditions, if you're hurt, like you're even more worried. Like, man, it's gonna be pouring down rain. I got a slick field. I got to play on. And I remember I walk in, and it was one of those things. For those who don't understand what Will's talking about, having to have that doctor that you can trust, nobody on the, God forbid a coach finds out, if you're seven on the seven on the depth chart, you're gone. Like, like in my like mind, in like, my, yeah, in my movie, I'm thinking if anybody like, finds out, I'm cut. If a, if a coach hears, dude's got a bad hamstring, like you're out. Well, like, and you don't, over. again, you don't want to be in the training room. You, you, you don't want to be anywhere seen in an environment yeah. like that. And that part I knew intuitively. And so I remember when we walk into the hotel and I said, man, let's go over here. And we sat right on, uh, right like kind of in this lobby area, way, a across from the Starbucks, yeah. right outside the restaurant. And I remember we just sat there, and I was like, "Man, like," and you brought me up to speed and how you were feeling, everything you just shared. And I'll never forget. I looked at you. I said, "Can you go?" And you looked at me and you said, "Yeah, man, I, I think I can go." And I said, "No, no, no, Will, like, can you go without hurting yourself any further? Can you go?" And you look at me and you said, "I'm going. I can go." And I said, okay, do you have the doctor you can trust? And you said, yes, I've got him. I said, what's he going to do? And you were like, man, he's going to strap this thing up and he's going as high as he possibly could. And I said, then you go out there and you just attack the opportunity. And that, you know, we look back now and that was, that was the practice where you made the Redskins. So why don't you tell There's them what no happened that afternoon? fucking question, bro. Tell them what happened. Dude, so this is, we go out to that practice and that practice, I have two interceptions and another PBU that should have been picked off. I pick off Kirk Cousins. I pick off RG and almost get RG again. And uh, I have two interceptions that day. And when we get done with that practice, I'm on cloud nine. One, you return for a touchdown. Uh, yeah, we're in seven on seven. There's a yeah. <laughs> Hey, yeah, we'll go. Story. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Hey, Turn, hey I take film. that shit to I'm the house. Yeah. Hey, I've got the film to show it. Yeah. Um, and I come off to the sideline and I'm fired up. I'm, I'm smiling like this. And Ben just fucking punches me in the chest. And I feel a little tinkle in the nose talking about it. And he's like, man, I'm so fucking proud of you. And uh, yeah, man, that was that was a moment. That was truly like a, a a moment of because then that night we stand, which is awesome. We're here in Nashville right now, but our first, my first preseason game of all time is in Nissan Stadium, and we're getting ready to play that game. And that night in those meetings, my linebacker coach, you didn't really mess with me. I mean, I was a young rookie; he was a vet guy. So he again, it, I don't know if I was going to be in his plans or not. And I remember him saying like, "Hey, Will, some coaches want to see you play. You're going to work with the twos." <clears throat> for this game against Tennessee. And I'm thinking like, oh shit, this is awesome. I wish I had a little bit more confidence from my position coach, but I was fired up and we go to Tennessee. And that night, the night before the game, coach Shanahan comes up to me. Mind you, you, you know, you're, you're not, a, this is my first conversation ever with Mike Shanahan, Super Bowl winning coach. And uh, he's like, oh, Mr. Interception. And I'm thinking, this motherfucker is calling me Mr. Interception. This 
this head coach that, again, a Super Bowl champion, somebody that's like, you know the Shanahan name. Coach Terrell Davis, Shannon Sharp, John Elway. And I would watch. I'd play with the Denver Broncos on game day 96 back on PlayStation with my old man when he'd take me to Toys R Us on and off, when he would skip work and he'd take me out of school. And that head coach is calling me Mr. Interception. And uh, he said, hey, let it rip tomorrow. And, you know, the game happens. And obviously, I just make the practice squad that year. But that moment, that practice led to the preseason of me getting to play like with the twos and twos and threes and late in the, uh, you know, playing in the fourth preseason game, the entire game. And a scout being like, hey, you have an opportunity to make this roster. You're going to have to black out on defense. This is before the fourth preseason game. You're going to have to black out, but you have a, you have a shot in the dark to make the roster. Didn't end up making the roster. But again, man, like even making the practice squad, it doesn't happen without like that which, story. Which back then, a lot of people don't realize after COVID, it went to 16. Even making a practice squad was stuff that was what, eight? Eight was guys, eight, eight guys eight on guys. practice squad then. Miserable. Well, Shout out to boys who get to do 16 now. Like that eight was bullshit. I mean, it was a blessing. Yeah, but you get cut. You're bummed about that. And, you know, you get to make, you get to make practice squad. Because you really did almost make the roster. Like they wanted you on that roster. I wasn't good enough on special teams, man. I sucked on teams. And um, I could play backer. And that was ultimately why I didn't make the team. And then the next year, I get to meet Adam Hayward. Logan Paulson was a pivotal vet for me that took me under his wing. Reed Dowdy, this white safety, no-name cat undrafted as well, um, would teach me some things. But Adam Hayward, I remember, put his arm around me and taught me teams. He's like, hey, if you're going to be in this league, you're going to have to play special. Huge shout-out to Uncle Wood. I mean, Huge shout out to talk about a special guy. He was the one who started to be a wolf, like fucking wolf, the wolf pack mentality and this, that, the other. Like he, he was a dog, but uh, yeah, he taught me how to play special teams because ultimately that's what allowed me to make the team the next year. Um, but yeah, that shit, yeah, that that rookie year was was wild. It's pivotal to kind of like look back on. You were literally renting a room from Dijon Gomes, right? I mean, D Gomes, D Gomes. You're as long uh, as I watched his English bulldog, he would <laughs> allow me to rent his apartment for seven hundred dollars, which was a steal. When these are parts of the story, people have no idea that like they would think like you're probably living in some palace, right? Because you're on the, not like, on practice squad. Room from yeah, your, your college teammate. Yeah, and then we start doing this visioning, and I'll never forget. I mean, you're talking about I'm going to be a speaker. I, I want to give back to the community. I want to throw camps. And then you look at me. It was the first time you said it to me. You're like, man, I got to take advantage because when you're playing in the league, man, you're better looking and your jokes are funnier. I've been saying that. <laughs> that's, that's been your line forever. forever. But, but that, I mean, that is, the, that is the fucking truth. But yeah, and then. You, you wrote down everything. And then we went to the dinner. And then we went to the dinner. We're eating like kings. Uh, that's, that's just a tangent. Then there were, by the end of the year, I get finally get my opportunity to get called up. And then I finally get to get active. I, I'm active for one game, week six, week 17 New York at Giants. New York. And I back up London Fletcher's last game of his Hall of Fame career and have get in the stat book, get one tackle, and finish out the year like being active, right? Like it's like that's I remember calling my dad and being teary-eyed and like. I'm getting active. Like, I'm playing. I'm playing in the NFL for real, not in a preseason game. I cried when I got the phone call. Yeah, you, you. I cried, you know. I know, we both, yeah, we, 
I cry a lot now too. It seems like, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I remember fired up to tell my dad, like, I'm going to be an NFL player. My number goes from 46. To I get to, it's now 53 for my first game and, uh, see my Jersey, see it hanging in the locker after the games. I remember asking London for a, a photo. Cause I knew he was done and it was the coolest fucking, we lost, but <laughs> Oh, that's so stupid. But, it, but it's so true. Like, you look back, like, when you wrote those things down, you believed it. Like, you knew you'd be an NFL player. You believed it. I mean, all these years you said you wanted to play, you believed it. I mean, it, it's a testament to you. Like, so much of what you've done. Like, I know sometimes you'll pull back from the reality of it. But, like, when you believe in something, you put your work behind it, and you go after it full steam. Right? Then it became, I'm a captain of the Redskins. I mean, it just... and. You became a captain of the Redskins, which if we would have oh, said man. that the first time I pulled up in the Mercedes with the suit, you would have been like, bro, I'm just trying to make the roster. I'm saying, hey, I need, to, I need to talk to somebody else. And this dude is fucking delusional. But it, yeah, I, yeah, like going into year two, I remember I had to redo rookie minicamp and I was pissed off about that because I'm like, why do I got to do rookie minicamp again? Like that's so, I'm going to be the second year play. It's like a sophomore having to go back and do freshman year again, right? You're around, you're around these first year guys. And it's like, again, an ego shot. However, the silver lining became, uh, we didn't draft an inside linebacker that year. So my linebacker coach, who was brand new, Kirk Olivadotti, who has been, who was probably the most pivotal coach in my career, as far as when I did get my opportunity, but it was Kirk Olivadotti's first year. He got to work with me first before any of the vets, right? Jim Hazlitt was our D coordinator. Since they didn't draft anybody at the inside linebacker spot, they got to focus on me. Like I got to be the starting Mike Backer for the rookie minicamp, right? But they got to focus on working with me and game planning. Like I got to take my game planning and put it, put it back into practice and being loud and proud and communicating with the safeties. And I remember having to do that rookie minicamp again because I was upset at doing it. And uh, it turned out to be, Again, another moment of, of like, damn, I'm glad I had to do that shit because I got to work with them. And Jim Hazlitt comes up to me and goes, hey, Will, KO, Kirk Olivadotti, KO and Hazlitt pulled me aside before that third practice or maybe after rookie minicamp. They're like, you know you can make this team. And I'm thinking in my head like, yeah, I just, if I can get some, op get an opportunity or something, they're like, you can make this team. They're like, are you on special teams? I was like, no, I'm not on, I'm on like the third, third team for on every special teams. When the vets come in that next week, I'm on first and second unit of every special teams unit. And from that moment, from that rookie minicamp stuff, I got to be like a second second teamer and I got to get my opportunities on special teams. And unfortunately, again, my tag team partner, my partner in crime at the time, Adam Hayward, we got to work second unit together as linebackers and then play special teams together. And fortunately, he was the, he was the captain of special teams. Like he ran the room, right? He sat in the front, will sit by me and do all this stuff. And uh, Coach Ben Kawika, our special teams coordinator, he he was trying to figure me out still, but I didn't have like the respect that he had for Hayward. It, it, that helped thrust me and get me into those roles. And again, like I got to make the team outright in that moment. Again, you're so scared of getting cut again. I remember missing a couple tackles that fourth preseason game thinking like it's over. Jim has was like, hey, you made the team. Like, I don't know what else relax, relax out there. You're going to back up either spot going into the season. Like you've made the team. Stop putting too much pressure on yourself. Because again, I was in that moment of, I have a shot to make the team if you black out, right? I'm kind of in the same mindset the year before. Like you want to make the team so badly in that moment. It's like, then I get the call that I made it. And then I get to make the team that year.
And that year, year two, I got to start five games, two of which I played like a backup. KO reminds me after those games, it was uh, the Arizona Cardinals and Tennessee Titans. It's like, hey, you played well, but you played like a backup. Your next step will be, how do you push for a starting role? How do you play like somebody you need to have on this roster? I remember I had a three-game stint toward the end of 2014. And in those three, in those three games, I think I had like, I had 14 tackles, nine and 12. And then the last week, Perry Riley comes back or whoever was injured comes back. And I don't play the last week of the game, but had a hell of a fucking three game stint that was like, you know, has they, I had my exit meeting and I sat down on my exit meeting that year because we ended the year shitty, right? Like that was the year Dallas, Des Bryant, the catch, Green Bay Packers championship game. But I remember being in that exit interview before I'm packed up and loaded to drive home with mom and uh he goes kirk olivadotti coach olivadotti goes hey look you're not gonna win this job in spring you're not prettier than any of these athletes we're gonna draft you're not prettier than anybody in sh- in uh, a helmet and shorts but i expect you to win this job when the pads come on in training camp essentially like hey you're not the best athlete <laughs> you're gonna have to win some uh, in some other form of fashion however I'm going to try and get you as many opportunities as possible to do so. And, you know, I didn't, I don't win the job outright that third year, but I eventually get to take over. I think it was week eight and year three. That's when I start nine games, I believe. And then the next year was, yeah, yeah. That shit is nuts to look back on. And the fifth year you were captain. Year four. Year four. Year four was captain. Year Year five was when Zach Brown comes. I get benched. I go to the I go to the pine, and that was when I was extremely bitter and got a bad taste of the business, because I thought to myself, you know, in year three I take over and play eight or nine games and almost amass a hundred tackles, and I'm like, yo, this is fu- I can play. I belong in this league. How do I become like Luke Keekley? How do I be the poor man's Luke Keekley that plays from the neck up, knows all this stuff, can't quite make these plays this motherfuckers out there making, but that's it, it goes back to writing all this stuff down. Like there's a little bit of delusion you need to have when trying to go after some of these ambitions. And it was, even though I was never going to be like Luke Kuechly, but it's like, why fucking not? Why can't, why can't I do everything possible to try to be? And then to playing those games and start or sitting the last half of the Dallas Cowboys game week 17, after I have that interception with Kellen Moore on Kellen Moore, Jay Gruden comes up to me and goes, who would have thought? that you'd be standing here. We're resting you for the playoffs from you being practice squad a couple of years ago. And I'm sitting there with a the backwards hat looking ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's awesome, right? <laughs> and uh, we lose with Green Bay, the wild card game. I was and, there for the game. I yeah. For the game. Yeah. I can was, go off uh, on a tangent of why we should have beat those motherfuckers. But we lose in the playoffs. But again, that next year, I, I started every, you know, they didn't draft anybody. I got to be the guy. I was voted captain, which is the biggest honor and the biggest honor I've ever had, like I've had ever. That is crazy to think about. And then uh, year, the year five, 2017, you kind of just think like they're going to do right by you. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a captain. I'm a starter. I was undrafted. Like, maybe I'll get a contract. Maybe I'll get an extension because they pegged me as an exclusive rights-free agent. You kind of like learn, like, why in the fuck am I having to pl- Why are they treating me like that? And then you kind of just don't know the game like that. You're still this kid that's wanting to get next step, next step, next step. And 
then when Zach Brown comes in and you kind of get benched for reasons of him being a pro bowler, but they move Foster over to my spot. And Mason was a hell of a linebacker. And to get told that you're going to go back to the bench when I had had a hell of a training camp in year five, I'm not sure. I'm sure you want to hit on something in year four, but getting told that and getting told the reasoning for getting benched was Mason got out of bad situations better than me, which is true. It's, it goes back to that tangible, intangible thing. Like it was, will you have to be perfect before the snap and at the snap to have success? And if not, you you get behind a play and you don't have those tangible things that get you out of those bad situations. You don't have the long arms. You don't have the the top end speed, the hips, the turning and running. You got to, that's why I had to lean on and study so much is you had to play from the neck up and be ahead of the game when you got out there because you couldn't have room, much room for error. Not with these freaks that are fucking out on that field. But when I got told that, and then I was just super bitter and hated everybody in that 2017 year. And I got to have that middle finger game in Seattle where I picked off Russell Wilson. Yeah, the middle finger game. And I just remember being on the bus and be like, fuck them all. Hmm. And feeling like I knew I could still, I knew I could do Because the week before Mason Foster plays for like six, seven weeks, he tears his labrum in the St. Louis Rams game. And I'm thinking I'm going to go out there and get, I'm going to get now my opportunity. Again, you never wish for nobody to get injured. But again, when you're in the spot like this, you need to get opportunity again. You need somebody to go down. Because you're not thought of as the guy you're going to, hey, we need him to start. We need to move somebody off the starting lineup. It's like, that's, that's the world I'd live in the entire, my entire career, which is fine. It's whatever. But Mason tears his labrum, ends up picking somebody off, ends up picking, uh, I forget the quarterback, Goff. He ends up picking Goff off at the end of the game. Has a big heroic moment. I'm like, fuck, if, if only I could have been in. Because he went back out. He tore his labrum, goes back in the game. Dog. And he ends up going on IR because his shoulders bothered him throughout the year and it's just painful and the, everybody's kind of dicking with him with whether it's training room, coaches, that's like, that's a whole nother conversation. But he goes down and then they split reps with me and Spate in 2017. Spate, good player. However, good kid, good, good kid, man, good dude. Spate. But it was almost like a slap in the face of me because when I got benched, it was going to be like, hey, you're the first guy in at either spot type of thing. Like I had still played the... The two years that I had, I had started 30, you know, 20 upper, like 25, 30 games at that point. And so I'm thinking I'm going to be the first guy in. But when Mason goes on IR, they end up splitting reps between me and Spate. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? And I'm on my restricted free agent year. So I'm on my last year with Washington. And it's like, well, we're not going to, you start to play the game in your head. Are they not trying to play me since it's going to be my last, my last year? I'm not going to be in their future plans. They want Spate because he's still on his rookie deal. And I was pissed. I remember going into KO's office being like, hey, like, basically, fuck you. I was like, why, why stop blowing smoke up my ass? Because when he, they benched me, I was like, you know, I just wanted to go in the meetings, take all the notes in the world, not talk to the coaches, just be amongst the boys, be amongst the guys and not be who I should have been, honestly, looking back on. But again, I was felt, uh, I was mad. I was mad at my own situation again. And uh, when it became time for, me to get to play, I played base reps, spate played nickel reps. Now, if you know about this day and age of football, you're out there in nickel packages more than base. Like I'm getting 15 snaps a game compared to spate who's getting 35, 40 or whatever. And when they split reps for us in Dallas, I was fucking so pissed that I go into KO's room and I was like, why you guys just keep blowing smoke up my ass? Why do I have to learn in special teams meetings 
what the, our situation is going to be in our room before I hear it from you. And if I would have known this, I would have tried getting out of here when we could have had a bye week. Like, but everybody just says you're the next guy if something happens. And now something happens and it's me and Spate splitting reps. And not only that, but Spate's really the guy. It's not me. Again, Vic, like mad, right? But also like being the victim. I'm just being like a little, I feel like I'm being a, now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, I'm being a little bitch going into the coach's office, being upset about my situation. I remember leaving his room upset. Jay Gruden comes in. He's like, oh, what's wrong, comp? And I kind of just blow by him. And he's like, hey, you know, we, everybody can use a hug. And I'm like, oh, don't touch me. And Manesca comes out, comp, what's wrong? And I just kind of go off and go to practice, do my thing at practice. They're like, hey, we don't know if you can play a full game. Like you haven't started this whole year. We need to get your wind, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, just leave me be. Like, I get this. Like, just let me. Because no matter what, my thought, even though as mad as I am, I'm thinking to myself, um, I'm thinking to myself, if I don't play well in the few in the base reps that I do get against Dallas, who will run base in 12 personnel and bigger personnel, because they're going to run the rock with Zeke. If I don't play well in my small reps, I'm ultimately going to confirm that that is spate that needs to be out in the field. So you're still in this spot that you you're mad that you have to be in that because you're like, I have to I have to like make them. I don't know. It's, and if I do play well, I have to play well enough to show those motherfuckers that, hey, you do need to be playing me. But if I do play bad, it's like I'm proving them right, that they're making the right decision. So you're still in a spot to where I have to play to where I'm helping them out, even though you want to give the middle finger to them and not play well for them. And we play Dallas, and I play well in Dallas in the, the role that I was in. And that next week, KO calls me. He's like, hey, um, you're going to be the guy for Seattle. And so I was like, fuck yeah. And then I got to play Seattle. I had 10 tackles. Sweetheart, you were there. She knew how I get emotional thinking about that moment because I was mad, dude. I hated, I just hated it. I hated the situation. I felt like I was wronged. You know how it is. You start pointing the finger at everybody else except yourself. And you, you want it to go your way. We go to Seattle, 10 tackles, an interception. Three PBUs should have had a, hey, honestly should have had another pick. I say PBUs like it was a, a baller move, but I should have took Russ to the house at one one play that I just dropped. We win the game and we're diluted. We're we're depleted on the O line. We have starters we're back against the wall, going into Seattle, the twelfth man, and we had players down. D'Angelo Hall plays safety that game, and we both just have like a middle finger game. And I remember again going on that bus, getting back to the getting on the bus and call my dad. I remember talking to Kenny Bell, even Charo, my wife, like, you're just like, fuck them all. Like I, sh you just showed it. You showed that you still belong in this game. KO calls the next week. Every, Hey, everybody hears you. You got the keys. Like you're the guy now rest of the year. Fucking blow my foot out against Minnesota. IR never see the field again. That was the list, Frank. That was the list, Frank. Right? <laughs> that was the list, Frank. That sucked. I'm but I was so happy I got I'll to. I'll never forget because I didn't realize how serious of a thing it was. No, I thought somebody like... took a fucking gun to my foot. Oh, uh, I remember you were like, no, list, Frank, is about as bad of a foot injury as you can have because it, it's yeah. going to linger. It's going to take a while to come back from it. It yeah. was devastating. Needed, needed my wife to be at the house pretty much every day helping, helping me do everything while I played video games and sat in my sulk, sat in my shit being bummed the silver lining of that a guy a player like zach vigil <clears throat> neck up guy gritty guy never got his opportunities 
he gets to come back because I'm now on IR and they need somebody to kind of like fill in. Zach comes and ends up getting like 80 tackles, averaging like 10 tackles a game for the rest of the year. And there was some, not resentment. I was pumped for him because he got a shot again. He got to come back. When he, in my opinion, he should have been on the team with us, been on those, uh, been on that roster with us. And But I remember thinking like, man, if I could have put together 10 tackles a game for the rest of that year, just with like the middle finger going into free agency, that would have been awesome. I didn't get to though. I got injured, got on IR. Rest of the year, they thought it could be a four, six week injury, but it was, I mean, it was, I, my foot, I still feel arthritis, arthritis in my foot, but then that's when I ultimately I go to Tennessee. Sign with Tennessee. Can I mention one thing? Because I think this sets something up. Through all of this, you did always, because I remember, I mean, you would, you'd be one of those veterans who would help other people. I mean, you were a captain for a reason because there was nobody who brought your heart and soul and for the boys really started in that locker room. Yeah, with with Taylor and myself, man, we would like, we would would train together because Dobson, being in Nashville, James Dobson was like another father to me. In the training realm, I was I got a lot of he training. Was strength coach at Nebraska. He's my so strength coach at Nebraska. And then yeah, that's so another he, godly thing. He yeah, comes to Tennessee. He's, yeah, he's in Vanderbilt. He's the head strength coach at Vanderbilt at the time when Pelini's staff got fired at Nebraska, and I get to get reunited with Dobson, and I'm in their culture and getting to know guys there. And um, Taylor and I trained there in the summer with Dobbs. And Taylor and I would always be like, hey, what are the boys doing today? We're sending each other inspirational videos on YouTube, Conor McGregor, Law of Attraction, fucking all the motivating things in the world, right? And uh, we were training together. Like, hey, what are the boys doing today? The boys this, the boys that. Hey, come over to my house. The boy, the boy. We're always recalling, doing all this stuff. And we kind of had this, this culture that was getting ingrained in our training camp, embracing the suck because it fucking sucked playing for Mike Vrabel in that first year. Like, it was hard. And it was, you're in, you're in a fight, right? You're like, you're trying to make the team. You're trying to prove yourself. Not only like, I feel like I'm going to be on the team, but I'm competing. Rashawn gets hurt, hurts his hamstring. So I'm in there with the two, sometimes the ones and busting my ass to try and carve out a role on the roster. Only for Rashawn to come back, even with the hamstring misses all of training camp. And he still gets thrusted into the starting job. And again, I was fucking a bitter little bitch when he, Comes in because it's like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens. The first rounder is going to get, they're going to put him in there no matter what, no matter where he is in there. And uh, yeah, that was a grind. And that's where the whole for the boy stuff came. Like you're just kind of embracing the suck. Wood, Wesley Woodyard would bring it up when we break it down on logos. We always met at the middle of the field after warmups and everything else. And Wood would be like, I can't break it down. Or he Wood would be like, hey, for the boys on three. Started off strong. I kind of, that year's kind of, I forget how we started. We did. We ended. We we lost a play in and in, win and end game against the Colts that year. But uh, yeah, this whole for the boys mentality kind of cultivated that year, which obviously have built this whole for the boys brand now. For the boys had already started getting rolling. You and Luan really started getting tight, and and then I remember it was our third episode of the Burn, and literally on that episode, and we're going to get you the clip for this. You literally talked about starting a podcast. And kind of back to the Dijon Gomes, I'm going to speak, I'm going to do, like, you always had these vision, but you followed through. And on the freaking burn, you were like, more players need to be doing this. Like, I'm going to be one of those players who actually starts a podcast and does this. And sure enough, Dog, I, I, so, look at what you've done. So that year, um, I didn't, again, when you're in that position, you need somebody to get hurt. You need an opportunity. I didn't get that. So now I'm six years in. Um, how old am I at the time? 28, 29, 
I don't know. But that year, I don't get to play. And Charo, my wife, knows how much I was not having fun playing on playing that year. It just wasn't that you, fun. I remember you were just, you had always said, I'm going to play till I'm 30. And you were like scratching and clawing to do everything you could just to get to that 30. Yeah. And I just wasn't having fun going into work. And, you know, for whatever reason, like it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't an ideal year. Wasn't an ideal year for the boy. And I was a special teamer throughout the entire year. Rashawn or Wood, nobody gets hurt. They stay healthy, which is awesome. But again, you need somebody to go down and get a spot. And I didn't get in. I remember, you know, Charo can, she's probably thinking of some of these days where um, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And I'm ordering these real estate books and trying to figure out I'm DMing Airbnb hosts. Get kicked off like two or three Airbnbs because you can't get in there and and essentially just have messages about how, how, how are you doing this business? <laughs> without renting an Airbnb. So I'm getting kicked off at two, three Airbnbs because I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And I know when I was on IR in Washington, when I had that Liz Frank, I really got ingrained into the Bigger Pockets podcast. Shout out the boys at Bigger Pockets. I love podcasting, which is where this all comes together. So that year, still listening to the pods and Charles had told me like, do a podcast, just do it. Like Taylor would tell me, uh, Derek Morgan, um, Logan Ryan, Kevin Byard, but come, you should have a podcast. That was in passing. And that was kind of the weird validation I almost needed from peers because you want to listen to your people. Kenny Farkas, my, my wife is telling me this, like people are like, take a chance and do it. Why not? And almost in the back of your head, you're like, you don't want to fail and you don't want to look dumb in front of the guys you actually, the guys that you're respecting in your industry. And all of that was kind of like some of the validation I needed to like, okay, I need to start ideating some of this stuff. And so I started writing it down. Like as much as I'm writing down some of this real estate stuff, um, I'm writing down the podcast stuff, what I want it to look like, because that's where I've always started is writing things down, whether it's the football stuff that you've recapped and anything I've ever done, it's writing stuff down. It's like, what do I want it to look like? How do I want it to feel? What do I what do I want it to be? What, how do I figure out how to get these pieces in place? If it's going to be, because with podcasting is production, there's a whole mountain of things that you kind of don't know about going into it. It's not just getting on the microphone part, but you know, I was inspired by guys like JJ Reddick and the McAfee's of the world and these athletes who had, who had did it and pivoted. But if I'm going to do a while playing, like figuring it out and, you know, fortunately Taylor had uh, wanted to join in. He's like, if you're going to do it, like, I'll do, I'll do it with you. Cause I had asked him and he was kind of on the fence about it. And I remember him being like, Hey, I'll do it with you. And we shook hands at this, uh, China, this China, this China, Chinese spot. I was gonna say China buffet or great wall, best wall, best walk, China spot, Chinese spot at like 11 or 12 at night. It was after we lost the win and end game against the Colts. And, uh, we shook hands and he, the next week he was like, Hey, I'm leaving for, California to go train or Canada or something. I was like, what the, I was like, Hey, if you're going to do it, I'll wait for you. Kind of like Titanic. I will wait for you. But if not, I truly need to do this. Cause again, jokes, better looking. You can shake more hands. You're funnier, better looking can shake more hands when you have the shield on you and getting done after year six, there was that part of me that didn't want to do training camp anymore. I didn't want to be a 90 man roster guy trying to make a 53. I was over that. I was over grinding hard to do that. I feel like the resume I put together, the joy that was kind of taken out of it for me that year, you know, you're, you're just like, if it happens, it happens. However, 
whatever my pivot is, I need to start doing it now as close as I am. Cause if that's my last snap after six years, then, you know, hopefully I get this thing going now. So I told Taylor, like, I need to do this now, but if you're truly going to do it, I will wait. Cause Taylor had just signed a big deal to be the big highest paid NFL player. So Taylor brought the juice of like that notoriety of a player on there that we had this chemistry and relationship from the locker room that we wanted to bring the life, bring the locker room to life, be an athlete owned podcast, IP owned by athletes for the athlete. And thank God we fucking did it. Right. Cause then I got the balance, you know, year eight, year nine, all this stuff that's came about it. Which I, I've got to throw this in here. One of the things I'll never forget this conversation going into year seven, you call me and you're like, bro, I'm not going to training camp. Well, you call me, you're like, hey, what's the deal? What are you hearing? Yada, yada. And I'm thinking yes. to myself like, man, I'm really not in the mental of this passion that Newman has at all times. The fucking, <laughs> what do you need from me? He's sending me voice messages, firing me up. And I'm kind of listening to him at this point. Like, I'm not into the fucking fired up stuff. He's doing what I needed him to do, but I'm losing that. And I almost don't want to come off like that to him because I don't want him to think that I'm not this, this gritty motherfucker anymore. That's wanting to fight for this 53. And so I start, yeah, now you can, I'm kind of telling him like, I don't want it like that anymore. And, and I mean, you flat out told your agent. Now I look back on it. I mean, it's pretty hilarious. I mean, you literally tell your agent like, you better drag this thing out. Like, I'm not going to training camp. I remember you telling me this. I'm like, no, you need to lock in and do that. You're like, no, like you really were resisting it. And you're like, when you did the burn, when we did that episode <laughs> and we're building busting with the boys, the Jaguars, the Eagles, all these teams call like wanting. Calling, I'm like, you got to go to camp. And you're like, I'm not. You know, in spring. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And my agent was fine with that. He's like, you don't need a risk. Like, unless you do a one-on-one -on -one workout and they're going to sign you with intention to sign. I think you've done enough. Uh -huh. Like, that's what we'll get for. In the summer, Saints called right before camp. Eagles again. They want to bring me in. And they're like, is it a group workout? No. So, yeah, Neil was like, he would drag it out. I remember Avery. Williamson tears his knee in New York in 2018 or this is 2019 and the Jets call and I'm like, nah, I don't want to go to New York. And they're like, man, you know, at some, you know, when are you wanting to play? They're kind of questioning because <laughs> I don't really tell my agent that I don't, I want to drag it out as much as possible. I'm almost like not answering the phone because I'm like, ah, fuck. Now I have to go back and play. I'm excited now about the podcast. I'm like, oh man, this is kind of dope. We, I've had on some, we've had on some cool guests. The variable cut your dick off for a Super Bowl goes viral. Barstool DMs us, and the Saints call for a third time because I say no again. They're like, are you sure you don't want to do this workout in New Orleans? And I'm like, and my wife can tell you. I'm like, no, nah, we say no. And they're like, all right, we'll make sure it. They're like, it sounds like unless you're working out by yourself with the intent to sign, you don't want to go anywhere. I was like, yeah, let's do this as much as we can. And the Saints call for a third time. And I fly out there. Char knows I didn't want to necessarily sign. After the Sean Johnson interview, we sit down and interview Sean Johnson and Andrew East. Olympic gold medalist. Our first, one of only females we've had on, and the Saints call that morning. My agent calls, like, hey, two linebackers get hurt in the second preseason game. They want you. Uh, you're working out by yourself. They're, they want to sign you as long as you're in shape. And I had been training. Like, I'm keeping up with everything. And um, they need a guy for week one to start, like, potentially start in their base package. 
And I'm like, fuck. So I don't answer. I don't call my agent back because I want to not only do the Sean Johnson interview, Barstool's flying in to meet with us that night about mm -hmm. podcasting, about a, a contract situation or a potential working together. So I don't call my agent back until like later in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, sorry. I've been, you know, I've been working out. I've been like caught up and I'm just like lying because I didn't want to have to get on a flight that day to fly out because I wanted to go to these meetings and do the podcast. So sure shit enough, dude, we meet with Barstool and they want to, talking about a partnership, but not talking numbers. They just want to get to know us, what our plan is going to be. And we're like, we have episodes backlog that we're going to run throughout the rest of the year and see what happens. And then the Saints, uh, we say yes to that. I fly out, crack a dawn, first flight next morning, go out there, crush the workout. And they want to sign me. And I, hey, can you play Mike? Can you play? What do you feel best at? I'm like, either one, whatever you want me on. Like, Two days, this is 48 hours before the third preseason game. And this is where it's fun because... This is couch. And Charles, no, Charles, like, I call that night. They have the contract in my room I, because I don't sign until the next morning. There's a part of me that truly actually doesn't want to play because that fire is just not burning there like it was. It's almost like I wanted to know I could get this call and feel like I could go but not do it. I almost wanted my wife to say, come home. But she's like, you will regret not doing this. That's where somebody like her comes in. She's been in the picture, but this is where somebody like her comes into stuff like this because when I didn't want to go to New Orleans and sign with New Orleans, when I didn't want to go to Oakland out to California and you almost just want a reason and I go. And she's just like, you got to, you got to see this through. Why? What do you, this is what you wanted to do. You wanted to be a podcast and play football. Why not do it? It's yeah, it seems a little scary because you're, I'm not, you know, we're not out there. Your people's not out there and you're in a new environment. I hate that I'm fucking crying. <laughs> but um, this is where, you know, sweetheart, you know, this is where you helped. I know you know that, but it's almost like you need that person to say that because it, it's, you travel, you fucking, you're in the hotel, you're scratching, you're, you're like fighting for these opportunities. It's like, man, I'm not, I didn't get to be the guy I wanted to be in the league. I'm now like that role player insurance policy. So I sign, go out the next day. It's a walkthrough. I don't do anything. Then we travel to New, the New York Jets for a preseason game. Preseason game three. It's one of those things where I'm talking with Charo and I'm like, this is where I get to prove that I can learn something and play at the drop of a fucking hat. And now I'm nervous because, okay, I've said that. But now I have to put it. It's like that put up or shut up type thing where, okay, if I don't play well against Dallas, Spate's going to be the starter. I have to play well in my one package I get because if not, these motherfuckers will be like, well, you know, you're not playing better than them. So I have no pressure, by the way, which is the best place to be in. I have nothing to lose. And I'm just learning in the classroom about some of their install. And the coach asked me, hey, would you want to play in the third preseason game? I'm like, fuck it. Why not? Like, hey, we're going to play you, but would you, are you, you feel comfortable? Yeah, why not? Be ready to go. So I'm playing in on, I think, special teams, second half, like go out to New York for preseason game three. All of a sudden, we're in the fourth quarter. Like, hey, do you want to go in? Fuck it. Why not? We go out there and uh, you're, I'm executing and I make this open field tackle and two minute drill to keep this shifty running back in bounds. And these coaches, the coaches and the sideline was fired up about it. And they were enamored the next day when we're watching film. That hey, well, the coach goes, "You opened a lot of eyes with this play." And I'm just thinking, "What are you? What are we talking about right now?" Like, 
The running back should have fucking got out of bounds. His dumb ass ain't do it. Thank God. But again, it's like, can Will play in space? This you, tight hips, all this mm. stuff. You make a play and it's on film. Now it's like, hey, people were really impressed with this moment right here. And it's like, oh, shit. Awesome. And uh, next practice, I'm running with the one unit in base with the Saints. Demario Davis, one of the best backers in the fucking league. Cam Jordan. One like I was there for a cup of coffee. I ended up getting cut, right? Um, but one of the best player ran locker was Craig Robinson, the special teams ace, the guy I was going there to not replace with being for and if it works out, maybe they cut him. Who knows? But he op- welcoming this open with open arms. Hey man, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm fired up you're here. I'm gonna get this hamstring right. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make some shit happen together. But we're low-key in the same spot. But I'm like, man, some of the, like, it was a cool locker room, a cool team to be a, far, a part of for that brief situation. Sean Payton, you're seeing him where you're seeing Drew Brees work for real in real time. And, uh, you know, you're getting to know some of these players. And then I get to go into the fourth preseason game. Like, hey, we're going to throw you in there. You're going to play the first half, not continuing to knock rust off because you obviously you haven't played. You haven't played since December of last year. And um, I fucking get hurt playing the first quarter and your boys out there like five tackles, I think. And I make this awesome TFL that's fire. Like it fires me up to watch it. But this tackle falls on me and fucks up my ankle. And I knew from that moment, damn it, I'm going to get cut because they need a linebacker. They need a linebacker for week one. And they got four guys hurt. I'm me, one of them now. And that's when they had to trade for Kiko Alonso, give me an injury settlement. I go up to get cut. And the guy who cuts me, Terry, I forget his last name. Look up the, if you can, Mitch, look up the GM of the Falcons. But he's like the president of ops or he's something, a head of scouting or whatever. He he cuts me and he's like, I walk in, but low key, I'm fine because I just put together some awesome tape for the 20 plays that maybe I did in the third and fourth preseason game, but I did it on not practicing. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a deal once my injury settlement's up. And uh, he's like, man, nothing. You did nothing wrong. He's like, you're a type of guy we want to bring in. Like we'd want to bring in late in the year to go on a Super Bowl run. Like this is a Super Bowl type team, and you know it too. It's like I think they lost in the first or second round to Minnesota that year, but that was a team that you knew could do some damage. Like you're a guy that you could fill out a roster with, and you need for late in the year because it's like next you guys get hurt. And Thomas Dimitrov, is that it? Was he the is he the GM of the uh, Falcons right now? Right now, it's Terry Font now. Yeah, yeah, him for the Falcons. I didn't know. If he was the guy for the Saints at the time. Well, whenever the whole year 10 comes up, he's now the GM for the Falcons. So it's like you, not only do you know Arthur Smith, but these guys kind of know you, which was like the perfect storm. Um, but I'm like, coach, or I'm like, man, I appreciate it. I know like I, there's truly nothing like whenever I get this right within a few weeks, I'm ready to go. Bring me back. Bring me back. I like this team. They don't call. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to. They don't call. Those motherfuckers, dude. I actually don't get a call until I go out to Oakland. And uh, I come back, man. Yeah. Like, then that's when Oakland happens. That was another couch to TV, though. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. yeah. That one, Isaac and I were, uh, my son Isaac's here with us. And I remember watching some of that. And I'm just like, you won't believe this. I'm like, Will's making every tackle. <laughs> he was on the fucking couch like two days ago. Like. This is nuts. On base for the Oakland Raiders that year. Like, that's where I come back. I think there was a big goal line stand, too, in that game. Yeah, somebody makes makes a big play on the goal line. He was just on the couch. Like, it's Nuts, man. Nuts. And I remember when I got cut from the Saints, 
and come back to I'm doing rehab every day. You know, you're doing all that stuff. Like that was the year I was very much wanting to play. I just had like these things that pulled me away that would this doubt and stuff would enter my mind to make me be like, do I want to go play? Like, man, I don't know if I want to, but only because I knew it was hard and I knew it was scary, a little scary in a way, right? Like you just, you tell yourself anything to talk yourself out of it because you almost don't want to be in that suck. You almost don't want to be in that bubble of performance, like getting, having to take care of your body every day. And Charles like identifies that and is like, Hey, you're going to, you regret not going out there. You regret not doing this stuff. And California, we'll make it work. Yeah, it's a long flight and it sucks, but we'll make it work. But before I go out to Oakland is when we start doing those tailgates for busting with the boys. Matt Neely, RIP, who's no longer with us, the late Matt Neely, who would be ecstatic about where we're at right now. But he's like, dude, while you're here, he'd like joke on me. He's like, oh, here we go. Uh, you know, unemployed, probably never play again, looking for a job where everyone wants to sign him, stuff like that. But he's like, we should do tailgates. Like the locals would love it. He's like, dog, they would love it. The fan base would eat it up. And he was somebody that was in, intertwined, interwoven into the Titans fan base. And he's like, man, I'll get it towed out there. I'll figure it out. Put it all on me. Put it all on me. And so I'm like, man, how how insane is this going to look? We're sponsored by a local Anheuser-Busch at the time. And we're out here throwing a tailgate drinking. And I'm trying to earn a spot in the NFL. Like, how ridiculous is that going to look to coaches? So I was kind of scared of doing it. However, it's just like, fuck it. It was one of those things again. It was, Terry's like, hey man, if this is the last time you like, this is the last time it happens and you want to go all in on this, like, do it, man. Like, you got an injury settlement, the, a three, four week injury settlement. Like, you were going to, if something happens and it happens, if not, you get to pour into this. If you're at peace with it, then believe it. And uh, it was like stuff like that to be like, okay, let's do the tailgates. We're doing the tailgates. I'm sitting, you kind of get in that mode of, hey, this fall is nice. The weather is nice. The weekends are nice. This is fucking nice. And the Raiders call sitting around 500. One of those teams to where if you're fighting for an opportunity to get in the playoffs, you call a vet that can, that is proven that you want to try to make the playoffs with. If you look, think you have a roster that you're going to essentially start over with, you're going to bring in rookies and give different opportunities because you're going to rebuild. Raiders wanted to get in, wanted to try for the playoffs, right? And so Oakland calls, same situation. Go out there, work out, goes well. Couch to that week, I'm starting on base. I go in at practice on Wednesday. John Gruden, he's running these walkthroughs so I could kind of get some reps. And I'm out there playing base. Just a little small package for myself. Get like four tackles against the Lions that Sunday. And that year I was going into it like, Charles, like, you know, if this is your last year, then so be it. Like, go, like, just have fun. And so I'm not taking care of my body. I'm rolling out. I'm doing the things in the building, but I'm saying I'm not anal about how on top of everything I need to be. It's more of like, let's enjoy it. If this is my last year, my young self would, you know, all the stress that I always carried throughout my career, like, am I going to play this week? If I mess up with somebody, are they going to replace me Is you know, am I good enough? Man, they want me and Spate to split reps. Does that mean they want Spate now? They don't want me anymore. Are they going to extend me? Why did they move Mason in front of me? Man, am I really not that fucking good? Fan base is talking shit about me. They bring in Zach Brown. Does, does that mean I'm not good enough? Uh, I'm finally playing, but, you know, are they going to draft somebody? Even though I'm playing, are they going to draft somebody next year? All these insecurities I always had. It's like, man, just go have fun. 
And we go out to Oakland. And I'm like, let's just play special teams, spread the good news of the boys, and try and get in another audience. Max Crosby knows who busts with the boys. He's like, oh, man, you're big time. And they're like, you know, they're, oh, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, man, I watch him every week. And you're like, oh, that's kind of fucking cool. Max Crosby, who he is now, oh. it's like, we hit it off. And dog the fucking Mike Backer, Tahir Whitehead, who played well. He just, he had, there's some internal conflict with him and the DC. And there was just, you know, again, right place, right time. And uh, they didn't want him to be the Mike linebacker anymore. And they're like, hey, can you run the green dot? And I was like, yeah, I can run the, we can run the green dot. You need the green dot. And the D coordinator at the time was Paul Gunther. He was really good friends with Jay Gruden. So they knew about me. Like, John Gruden, I sat with him as a Gruden grinder on Monday Night Football once and had tears in front of him, right? Again, back to my crying. I'll never forget that moment when he did that. Was yeah, problem. and so John, Coach Gruden knew about me. Obviously, Jay Gruden, you know he's on those phone calls. He's a big reason probably why I'm out there. They, a lot of the staff is, they're in relationships with guys that I've been with. And so, man, I get to rock the green dot for like the last three games. And I think I averaged like around nine tackles, man. And kind of have like a, you know, defense plays well. I want to say we might have even lost two out of the last three. And it was a, the, the, the stipulation moving up to it was that the offense was playing well and the defense just wasn't fucking cutting it. We got to shake the tree type of thing. Defense, we get some stability. We lose in other situations, but it's like people were in a good mood the way the defense was playing because ultimately the defensive staff's jobs are now safe for another year. It felt like. And um, so you feel like you're a big part of that. And you're kind of like, dog, I fucking did it again. Like, because there's a part of me on Tennessee, I didn't get my opportunity. And I wasn't really seen as somebody who could be looked to as somebody on defense. You go to the Saints and they're trying to implement you into the plans. You go to the Raiders, they're trying to implement you into the plans on week one. Seeing you as somebody that you were in Washington. You kind of get a little bit of that like mojo back, right? That love mm -hmm. for it. And I'm like, man, if I'm playing like this and I was just... You can go. And I'm just rolling out in the room and trying to take care of my body, get some good sleep. And I'm living in this bullshit-ass extended stay that smells like homeless people, cigarettes, and sex. It's like, Doug, I might have just bought myself another couple years. Low-key, I might have just earned a contract in the offseason. Didn't. Um, but the Raiders, I might have found myself at home. I might be going to fucking Vegas next year. And they want me. John brings me into the office in the exit meeting. And he's like, you know how John grew. Like, hey, Compton, man, you're not going to be a Hall of Famer. That's how he starts. Like, yeah, no shit. You don't have to say that. No <laughs> shit, brother. You're not going to be a pro bowler. That one kind of touched me a certain way. Because I'm thinking like, yeah, probably not. But who, why the fuck would you say that type of thing? Like, fuck you for saying that. And he's like, we want you back. I'm going to get in touch with your agent. We want you back. Because you won the job late in the year. You came in, drop of a hat, all of it. We want you back. We go into the summer and off season. They signed Corey Littleton from the Rams. Spend like 50, 30, 40, 50 million dollars on this. Maybe 30 something. I could be over exaggerating that. And then 10 to 15 million dollars on Nick Kwiatkowski. Good Mike Backer from Chicago. And that is like, I'm thinking, what in the fuck are we doing? Spending all this money on these backers. I get we might need pieces, but why spend that when, I, you know, your boy's going to, I'm going to give you a discount. 
<laughs> we can make this thing shake for something smaller. But I'm thinking like, okay, I'm not going to be the starter or even come close. Like they're paying them starter money. And so they come to me and offer me a minimum deal, zero signing bonus. And I'm just thinking, I don't get, dude, fuck you. And I was like, the whole mindset is, guys, last year I went in the Saints and played without doing any practice. I came to you guys and played without doing any practice. I'm going to do the same thing this offseason if it's for a minimum deal. There's zero upside for me to leave. I'm going to do busting with the boys and not bang and wear, put wear and tear on my body in a training camp or in OTAs unless there's incentive. And uh, the DC, Gunther, is like, they moved to Vegas. And I'm like, man, we fucking, COVID's happening. Like, we need you. We need you here. We need you here. It's like, well, show money that says I need to be there. I'm not, there's no reason for me to sign. I'm not doing it. And I get on the phone with Gunther and we're going back and forth for a while. And Gunther, he was awesome about it. He's like, man, I, I don't control. And he's trying to frame it to where he goes, man, you got, he goes, you got uh, Aguilar, who was a second round pick, I believe, maybe first round, who signed from the Philly. He's signing on a one-year minimum deal. You got Prince of Mucamara, Nebraska boy, shout out Prince. He signed on a one-year deal minimum. He was a first round pick. You're not those guys. But that one didn't, it didn't phase me like he probably was hoping. I was like, okay, let's compare me to somebody in our room. Tyre Whitehead, whose job I overtook late in the year and won the job from, who just signed a one over a million dollar signing bonus to go to Carolina. That's who we should be comparing me to. And we went back and forth. He's like, man, can you get on the phone and, and call Jay Gruden, call John, big, call John about this and say the exact same stuff. Cause Paul's just want me back, but he can't make the decisions. He's like, man, can you say all the same stuff to a uh, Gruden? Cause he's like, man, we're sitting here arguing back and forth over why isn't Will Compton here? And he's like, over somebody that's not going to be, a, you know, he's like, no disrespect, not a lot of amount of money. Why are we arguing about this? Why isn't he signing? Why does he want to be a Raider? Does he even want to be a Raider? And so John calls me, my family comes in, we're about to go down to Chattanooga for some uh, whitewater rafting. And uh, family's in town. Coach Gruden gets me on the phone. He's like, Will Compton. And he's like, you're harder to sign than Keyshawn Johnson, man. And uh, I laughed. I was like, Coach, how you doing? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure you're offering. I'm sure you're offering more than a minimum contract and a Subway gift card to Keyshawn Johnson. And he laughs and he's like, he's like, look, man, what, what is it? I was like, Coach, just show me the value. I, here's where I'm coming from. I don't have to come to practice. I want to be a Raider. I want to, here's what I told him, because my agent was prepping me for it. And he's like, not only do I want to be, play and be a Raider and end my career, I want to end my career as a Raider. I want to scratch and claw and I want you guys to have to pull me off the fucking field to tell me my career is over. And I want it to end with the silver and black. Not only do I want to end with the silver and black, I want to perform well enough to where you want to hire me as a coach after I'm with mm -hmm. the silver and black. Shout out Neil Cornrich. He's telling me, my agent's prepping me for this. And I'm saying all this. He's like, I just need to see where the value is because here's where I'm at. I don't need to show up in training camp if I'm going to play for a minimum because I've already proven that I can do that. And the injury rate in the NFL is 100%. Somebody's going to need a linebacker at the beginning of the season. And then, of course, I'll sign for a minimum zero signing bonus. And he was 
trying to talk to me about, listen, if it ain't practice, because he's like, do you not want to practice? You don't got to practice. You don't want to play in the preseason games? You don't want to play. You don't have to play in the preseason games. I just want the guys to see how you command the huddle. I will, yes, you're going to back up Nick Kwiatkowski. I want them to see how you operate, all this stuff. I was like, it sounds great, man. Like, you know who my agent is. I'm ready whenever you are. And uh, again, no offer. Long story short, nothing goes up. Because there's nobody in the market that wants me. So uh, unfortunately, the market dictates that. They're not going to value you if nobody else is valuing you. Fair. Tennessee Titans call year nine. Wait, year eight starts to take shape. Year eight starts to take shape. And uh, Tennessee calls, go and do a workout. I'm fired the fuck up. We're going back with the boys. They just went to the AFC Championship. Let's go. Go back, knock out a workout with them. They want to sign me. We finally get them in a little bit of a battle for minimum for a minimum contract. But now we get to max out the vet minimum signing bonus. Vet, maxing out the vet minimum signing bonus means I can go on the books for free. I, they still get to put zero in the books. However, that ain't a zero on the Will Compton's books. That's not a zero in our finances. We get to get like a hundred and something thousand dollars, but... The silver and black tried. The Raiders tried. Basaccia had a super good relationship with him. He wanted to know why I wouldn't sign back. And ultimately, when I stayed with Tennessee, it was like, hey, why didn't you come back? And I was like, man, I feel like to be transparent, as much as I enjoyed working with that defensive staff, I felt like there was some instability there. So I kind of give him that. And again, I don't have to leave Tennessee. I, I bought myself years. It's like at that point, again, the fire's not there i'm all at this point i'm fully in the bus with the boys i'm excited for that i'm excited i got to do i'm excited i got to go out and play those three games in oakland and fucking be like dog not like i am that motherfucker but i prove myself right again against whatever chip i i put on my shoulder whatever bullshit fake untouchable enemies that I create in my head of he can't do this. He can't do that. That's going to be forever with everybody. Like everybody gets doubted in anything that they do, but it was one of those, like I was at peace now with playing. And then when I was training in the off season, I remember telling Taylor, everybody, it's like, it would be cool to get an offer to go play and then walk away from it. You always want to walk away from the game and you knew you still had it. Right. Cause you get to leave before they leave you. I remember when the Raiders offered that minimum no signing bonus. I'm going back and forth with John Gruden and everybody else. It's like, Taylor's like, hey, congratulations, man. Now you can you can retire. You can do your thing. And there's always that little part that like pulls you back in because you get you taste the <clears throat> the upside with being with with playing ball. And when you're doing it for reasons that of enjoyment other than stress, it's like it takes it off of you. Um, but Knowing that I had that and then getting to play with Tennessee for that ninth year, ninth year, right? Eighth year. That was fucking awesome. So I go to Tennessee. We have our year. And again, special teams back up. Got to have a nice little fun game in Baltimore where I had like fucking nine tackles in one half. Awesome. And again, you get fired up and you get to. And that was after being cut by Tennessee. Tennessee cuts me. I'm on practice squad for a couple yeah. of weeks. David Long goes out with COVID. And they're like, hey, Will, we got to activate you this week. I do a simple little walkthrough behind everybody. And then next thing I know, Jayon uh, Brown fucking breaks his elbow right before the half end. So now I'm out there against this insane run game of the Baltimore Ravens and uh, play well. 
thought I was going to get to overtake that job, and I fucking fuck up. I, I recap with Raves a little bit, and he's like, oh, I think you're, you didn't play that bad. But I trip and fall on the ground, and you can't be out there flopping ass, dude, when you're trying to win a job, and David Long gets it for the rest of the year. But I was like, am I going to get to do this again and str string out another year of, like, playing? And get to do it now for Vrabe. So I always wanted to make proud. You know what I mean? It's like, you always wanted his respect. Like, I want to play with him. Yeah. Uh, so I had a question um, just sitting here during that bathroom break. Uh, you keep talking about, well, like how you went, you had all these like stints of like, yeah, like, am I about to do this again? Like I came in for three days, like hardly had any practice. And now I'm out here and I'm making legitimate plays, nine, 10 tackles a game, like in multiple games in a row. But it sort of seems like you were fighting that. Yeah, I can do, keep doing this. Like, and I'm proving myself. Like, yeah, I can keep doing this. But it's like, did you ever have that mental fight with yourself? Like, do I want to keep doing it? Do I want to keep? Yeah, like staying in shape throughout the season and then getting a call late in the season and putting my body essentially through hell and like car crashes all the time. Like, proving you can do it. But it's like, did you? ever get to the point where like yeah i don't even really want to anymore because of the podcast and stuff you had going on outside yeah man i mean it would come down to yes i don't need to do this and the business would come into my head and everything else and then it was the question i would ask what would my 10 year old self think about this and dog i loved i was obsessed with football growing up and I would, all of us, I'd create myself on these video games and I, I loved football to where I'm like, yo, I'm a fucking NFL player. I married a cheerleader, which is when you're young and doing all this stuff, like, oh, I'm going to do that. Like you're playing the little car game on the rug and you're like, oh, I'm going to be an NFL player. I'm going to be this number. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best running back ever. I'm going to marry a cheerleader. You're like saying all these things. Right. And it's like, once you have perspective and then, and then I would just tell myself like, man, just go fucking do it and have fun and try to enjoy it. Not try to enjoy it, but like get over the showing up and the stuff that you don't necessarily want to do, like being a pussy and enjoy it while you have it. Because the moment this game is over, there's no intramurals for football. There's no, you don't get the boys together and go no back. Men's league. Yeah, there's no men's league. You don't get the boys. I mean, maybe on Thanksgiving for a turkey bowl, but you don't actually get the boys back together for some fucking competitive ball. You just don't. When this, when football ends, it's over. It's done. Everybody has to retire at some point, but I'm sitting here balancing these opportunities of, yeah, I don't have to do it. And there, it got to a point where it's like, okay, I can make more money doing this. I'm making more money doing this than playing. And hey, why risk it? You you know you got the the brain stuff, the body. Like you could have an, you go out there and risk. You're going up against motherfuckers that are at the bottom of the hill, hungrier than you, young, bigger, faster, stronger, darker. And it's like you, you there is an element of that, right? To where it's like, hey, why do it? You can do this, but man, when you when then you're bouncing the perspective of, but you also have the opportunity to go do it to put on a fucking NFL helmet. And it doesn't matter if you're just playing special teams, but sit in and be in meetings and influence a couple guys maybe, but just kind of be in the suck with the boys. You don't get that. You just don't, 
You don't fucking get that anymore. You can create, you can try and create it somehow. I know we try to do cultural stuff with busting and everything else, but those moments, especially playing ball, like playing football and being in that shit with everybody, you don't get that. So when I am thinking about it, my wife is talking me into it and you got to get yourself to that conversation. It's like, dog, fucking go play in the NFL until, until you can or until the, the moment feels so right. It's just done. Like you did it. So then let me ask you this question. It's done. Season's about to start. It's over. You're not getting what you just described. So how does that feel? I feel at peace because I've been ready for this moment. It's more so just putting it to bed. It's more of like, you know, there's a part of you that wants to, year 11, year 12, like wanting to be like 40 years old saying year 18, like just joking around. And But there's also that part of you that wants to do right by that kid that was, would run around the house with saying like, I wanted this face mask. Because Thurman Thomas had it on the Buffalo Bills. Why I like them, I had no clue. Then my dad turns me on the Dallas Cowboys when they were taking over in the 90s. And when they would win the Super Bowl, again, I referenced it earlier, but he'd get the VHS set, posters, and we love football. And I love football. And that kid who was inspired by the the Walter Paytons, the Ray Lewis's, the, you know... All those cats, watching the Miami Northwestern documentary, high school football, hoping like our team could be studs like that. Like watching Tim Tebow come out and go to Florida. And you're going to see some of these guys, you see the rivals world, you see the headlines, the hard work that some of these guys put in. And man, I can be that. I can do that. And you want that dream of the NFL forever. And again, it's like you wanted to emulate all your favorite players growing up with the face mask, with the swag, with the gloves, with the... Friday night lights being booby miles on your high school team. Like you want to do right by that kid. And like, man, you really fought your ass off and you have a career that you should be proud of. And I, you, I do use humor a lot to defend or deflect insecurity at times of being proud of my career because you know, you, you, you see like, oh, you, you ain't no good. You're not going to do this. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I might not ever be one of those greats, but. I'm going to say something to that regard because, you know, it, it got to the point, I think, after year six where <clears throat> you had grown so much in your development to where, yeah, I would still leave you the voicemails and things like that, but it wasn't needed as much. And then, you know, you did start to defend the with kind of what you're explaining here. You're not allowed to speak for a second. If you would have talked about that 10-year-old boy or you and I sitting in that booth that first day we met, if I would have had a crystal ball and I would have said, man, this is exactly how this is going to play out. Same thing you said earlier. You would have been like, bro, like, you got something wrong with you. Like, I'm out. And even though I know you wish you would have had more years with the green dot and more years with the C on your chest and more years starting, when you look at this bussing with the boys community, dude, the number of training camps that I go to speak at NFL kids, like the Dolph, the last two dolphins, rookie classes, I've been able to do rookie, uh, basically the rookie mental conditioning for the dolphins the last seven straight years. And none of, none of my work in the NFL would be possible without you. So the thank you I have to you for believing in me and not going dude with the suit, you got to roll. I mean, 
None of this would have happened. I never would have spent five years in Alabama and national championships in Kansas State. None of it would have happened. It wouldn't. And these last couple years at, at the Dolphins, I remember a rookie last year, he's like, I, I share your story. And I share a lot. I mean, you know how I do it. And he's like, you know Will Compton? And like, you've motivated these kids to go sit in that seat. And these are like the rookies who are the kids who are the undrafted guys. This year, Garrett Nelson, shout out to Garrett Nelson with the Dolphins, like, a black shirt that people don't know that you do this. Like, you know, you go back to Nebraska and this kid looks up to you more than probably any other player. And you can mention the Ray Lewis, you're Ray Lewis to that kid because you were a black shirt and the number of people that you've motivated and the support from this busting with the boys community, dude, it's unfucking believable. And that makes me so proud that we, you know, to sit in Dijon Gomes apartment and for you to say you would do these things. And we joke, but like, dude, you've done it. Like, Speaking engagements paid like really good money. Speaking engagements and the career that you built, you're going to do so much off the field. And this story and the way that you've recapped this and how people have been able to be on, they felt like they've been with you. They've worn those jerseys with you. They've worn those Titans jerseys with you. They've worn those Raiders jerseys. I mean, they've all feel like they've been with you and you've brought them along. And when you got your Redskins second contract, I'll never forget. I was flying to Philadelphia for a speaking engagement. And you had texted me that morning and you're like, bro, do you, do you believe everything I wrote down, man, it's happened. And I remember I'm like, yeah. And I, I said, hold on, I got something for you. And I, I still have it on the notes on my iPad from all these meetings we've had. I took the screenshot and I sent it to you. I finished my workout. I fly. To Philadelphia. When I landed in Philadelphia, I go on Twitter and you had sent me a screenshot because you had written all of these notes about how you felt now having lived some of what you said you were going to do. And it was like four freaking pages. And the Washington Post freaking post this article. You remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the last thing you said, and this is what makes me emotional, and you said, uh, always bring others along. Through your doubts, through your fears, through the uncertainties, through the pain, through not wanting to do it. One of the last things you said, and it's one of the last things when I read this, it's just the power of those words you said, and always bring others along. And that's the Will Compton I was talking about earlier when I said it was always bigger, bigger than Will. And uh, your your story and what you've done, this underdog perspective, bro, it is going to last. And I, I don't, you can make jokes because it, it'll diffuse it, but you need to hear it. It's going to live on. And it's going to help kids, and it's going to continue to blow your mind, what you've done for, for kids who never thought they could do it. And I, I couldn't be any more proud of you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you more than you know, brother. Um, yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's wild. It's wild to... It's not like it's some fucking dying, but it is crazy to... <clears throat> It's crazy to look at. And to your point, it is, it's almost like why you want to do this, right? Is for those guys, it's the guys who play on fourth down, the practice squad, the backups, the, the ones who lay up restless, wondering if they're going to make a team. And the overachieving motherfuckers out there that, you know, don't get the press conferences when they're done. And who don't have any, like, the platform. And you get forgotten, right? 
get forgotten quick just because you're not the great, you're not one of the greats. You're not in the hall of fame and, you know, the backbone of the NFL, those piss and vinegar, gritty motherfuckers. It's, it is fun to talk about this stuff because that's what I feel like I come from. And so as bittersweet as it is, like I'm ready for my next chapter. And, uh, it's just fucking cool that I got to play this long because I never thought that I would. And honestly, like me on paper, a guy like that doesn't. And I'm proud of the overachievement that I've had. I take a lot of pride in being an overachiever and being a gritty motherfucker that tries to find a way. And that doesn't mean that doesn't come with a lot of insecurity, doubts, and opportunities to victimize yourself at every turn. But it's at those turns that decisions have, hard decisions have to be made and you have to fully commit if you're going to make any progress. And it's fun to look back and know that I did that, that I fucking did that. And it's just cool. It's just cool. Like my young, my young, young Willie B, as my dad would say, would think uh, he lived the coolest life. Now it's time to pour into the teams of bussing and home and barstool sports and all of the adventure ahead. But it's, this has been awesome. Thank you, man, for, for doing this with me. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everybody who stayed in. If you stuck around the whole time, man, thank you. Um, you know, to myself, if you're watching this one day and you can't remember some of these memories, it's time to fucking, it's time to get on top of that shit, brother. It's time to get on top of that shit. You can't be, you can't let there and just let your brain melt away. You got to be, be intentional, be active, be active. And if any family's watching this, you know this. If you're watching this before I'm watching it again, help my, help my old ass out. Um, but legit, like looking back, listening to these stories and everything else, I think, um, I think the biggest takeaway outside of belief and, you know, writing shit down and the process and, you know, living, living up to a certain standard and, and having that, those, that good self-talk, those action steps, all of that shit, I think aside from all of it, you finally get to where the dust settles, it's all over and you either live a life of regret or a life of gratitude. And you want to be able to, you want to be able to look back on your memories and what you accomplish. You want to look back on them fondly because the game ends one day, man. The game is not forever. None of it's forever. All of our phases, right? But the game is not forever. One day is going to be the last time you ever practice. One day is going to be the last time you ever snap on a helmet. One day is going to be the last time you hug your teammates. And you might not even know it's the last time. And I think it's the same for every phase in our life, right? None of it lasts forever. Your high school days, your, your own glory days, college, your group friendships that you had, all of your relationships, right? The career, the dreams you might have captured for a, a fleeting moment. It feels fleeting when you look back on. And you just want to know that you enjoyed it while you had it. And I enjoyed it while I had it, man. And it's, it's really fucking cool. And, and when that forever does knock on your door, you want to be able to close that door and look back at it all fondly and know that you gave every fucking ounce of yourself and I did. 
I think I got everything I fucking could out of my genetics, um, all of it. I think I got every ounce of myself out out of myself for the career that I had, and that's ultimately that's what I wanted. And it's uh, it's uh, it's bittersweet, but I'm excited for the next chapter, this game, this process, all of it. It's all set me up for my next chapters and um i'm excited but yeah man it's not forever enjoy the moments that you do get with everything with what you love and be able to look back on them fondly and with gratitude but shout out to you guys big hug signing kisses be a fucking wolf hey willie b well uh my favorite uh, daughter-in-law of all time gave you an opportunity to say a few words so I was thinking today going through a lot of memories and I found a uh, a letter I wrote you when you first went to Nebraska I don't know if you ever read it or not but uh, it's it's crazy looking at it and seeing just how things came to fruition and then more uh, but I want to read it to you it's been a wonderful journey so far to watch you grow into the great young man that you are. I look at you and a thousand memories flood from my mind. From you gumming on my carrots as a baby, playing for hours in the backyard, pretending we were the Dallas Cowboys, playing with the Ninja Turtles. I don't know why in the hell I put that in there. Our three play, Will left, Will right, Will up the gut, flag football team. I think we won every game, by the way. Wrestling, the RJFL, stellar performances on Friday night. I could go on and on. Your mom and I knew from an early age, Will, that you were, you were special. We knew that you had a gift. I know many times I was hard on you because I, it actually frightened me at times that what to do as a father is someone with your attributes. I thought it was my job to make you tough as quickly as possible. And I'm truly sorry for those times. As the father of my first son, I made many mistakes. As in the poem entitled Footprints in the Sand, I'm sure there was only one set of footprints many times as a father because I know God intervened. The way you have turned out is proof of that. I'm very proud of how you have handled things through high school, such as saying no to temptations and handling conflict without physical confrontation. Um, maybe that's not all that true after I've heard some things, but you made it cool to do the right things most of the time and, and you have been um, a great leader for many. I'm also very proud of how you grasped the opportunity set before you and made the best of them. It's also made me very proud of how you conducted yourself with other adults. Your character, fortitude, and leadership will take you as far as you want to go in life. For the few mistakes that you made, you learned from them. In moving forward, grasp every day with passion. 
There will be days where you're going to hate it and feel like giving up. At that moment, look up to the sky, smile, and ask for more. Learn to love the feeling, the grind, as you always called it. Thank God that you have been fortunate enough to be put in the position to endure. There are very few that do, and it, that's what separates you from the good and the great. You have great people around you to help you. Above all, keep God in your life. Read something spiritual every day and pray. You should have learned that from your mom. You can be a great athlete having it athlete having it great physically and mentally. But the person who has it physically, mentally, and spiritually, look out. I truly believe God has had a plan for you and through the gifts He has given you you will be able to inspire and touch the hearts of many, which you have. Always look for those opportunities. Always stay close to family. It has warmed my heart to see the bond that you have with your brothers. We've always been a tight family. And then we, and we need to stay tight as we forge ahead. Will I thank God? Every day for enriching my life with you. You've been a true blessing. I can't tell you how much I'm proud of you. I know your mom still is. Wish she was here. Thanks for being you. You know, it's crazy. I mean, from backyard football to nine years in the league, doing the best pods out there. Yeah, I can't tell you. I can't put into words how proud I am. I love you, son. You're born a, you're born at point A, you die at point B. Kick maximum ass. Congratulations. You did it. Salute. This episode of The Burn Podcast is powered by BenNewmanCoaching.com. Your number one source for increasing consistency in your life and building the mental toughness habits required to live the life of your dreams. 
From self-paced courses to live coaching with Ben and everything in between, head over to bennewmancoaching.com and join the thousands of members working to unlock their peak performance every day.